Dr. Abdul Rahman is a fine academic and interpreter of Islamic beliefs, and we're extremely grateful that he has given us of our time and accepted our invitation to come and speak. If you're a visitor from one of the local mosques in the Hitchin or Stevenage area, you're especially welcome, and please make yourselves known to us at the intervals. If you're from one of the other Christian denominations in the area, you also are very welcome. I might add, too, that if our good friend um, Ali Sharif is here, he is especially welcome, um, a Muslim from the local mosque who's well-known to the Christian fellowships Mm -hmm. in this town. The goal of the the Which Jesus series is to help Christians, Jews, and Muslims to better understand and appreciate our respective beliefs about Jesus, um, but also to help us become friends or, or, or better friends, as the case may be. I expect tonight to be a very educational evening for Christians and Muslims alike. Christians are going to be very surprised or even amazed at the kind of beliefs which Muslims hold about Jesus, um, concerning which we as Christians are painfully ignorant. I hope in turn that Muslims will be stimulated by the kind of questions which I as a Christian believer am stirred to address to a Muslim leader regarding Islamic perspectives on the identity of Jesus. Talking of questions, if you would like to ask Dr. Abdurrahman a question, then please write it on paper provided here at the front and at the back of the building during the interval, which will be at about roughly quarter to eight. It'll be a 10, 15-minute break. You can have coffee and biscuits. <coughs> um, you can put the questions in the baskets at the front or at the back, and then um, if they are relevant to our subject tonight, Jesus in the Quran, a Muslim thought, um, and if it's simple... Um, and it's not too long, it stands a chance of being aired. So um, think about that. I, I, am, I am thinking of, of the visit we had um, from the atheist philosopher, Dr. Julian Bugini. Um, some of you may have attended that about a year and a half ago. And some of the questions were pages long. Oh, okay. Massive, big philosophical and scientific treatises. Um, and they, they, they weren't asked. So you can relax, Abdur. You, you will be asked very simple questions tonight. Now, all that remains for me to do now is, is to ask you, um, on behalf of, of the Christian and, and Muslim communities in this area, to give a very warm welcome to Dr. Abdur Rahman. That's better than Thank the applause I get. <laughs> When you were 15 years of age, Abdur, you learned the Quran off by heart. Is that right? That's right. It took a few years, but yeah. 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 How on earth did you do that? I wonder myself sometimes. Um, but I, I think when you're younger, if, from a physiological point of view, I think if you look at it that way, it's, uh, the brain is a muscle. So the more you use it, the more it will take in. Nowadays, we're, we become very visual. But I think then, Muslims, we actually believe it's a miracle. Because we've got, uh, for example, my daughter, she memorized it at 11, so she beat me. All of the Quran? The whole Quran, yeah. Now, just in case there's anybody here who hasn't read the Quran or or knows about it, um, can I just show you an English translation? You'll know Arthur Arbery's translation. Mm -hmm. Now, this is produced by um, Oxford University Press, and it has about the best part of 700 pages in it. I'm flicking through it now. Abdur memorized the whole thing. The Arabic. The, the Arabic. The oh, Arabic. To make it simpler. <laughs> to um, right. Yes, the Arabic, indeed. 
Um, I, the question I want to ask you is, how did you physically go about doing that? Did, did you open it and just read and close your eyes and go back to it? Or did you write or, or what? Yeah, I think different people have different experiences with this. I mean, I know somebody who memorized the whole thing in six months. But I, it took me about three and a half years. Do you believe him? Yes, because they can test him. We, we, I mean, you bring anybody, if they say that you don't need a certificate, a paper certificate, you just get them to read. And then every year you have to actually prove it because in Ramadan we have a special prayer in which you have to recite it by heart. Uh, but the way I used to do it is I used to take, it started off with a few lines. So you read them over and over again. A lot of it is rote because at that time I didn't understand Arabic. So yes. I was learning something that I didn't understand. So it was rote learning. It's easy for the first chapter because you're learning afresh. Then it starts getting more difficult. It, it actually gets easier to memorize new, but it gets more complicated to keep revising the back part. Because then you have to retain everything. You can't just keep learning new and forgetting the back. But I had a good teacher. And I think there were times when my father thought, um, uh, maybe he's not going to do it, but I pulled through. Does yeah. the Arabic lend itself to memorization? It's a very, it's a very uh, musical language, yeah. in a sense. So, I mean, it, it, that, definitely ha- uh, that definitely helps, and some parts of it are easier to memorize in that sense than others. Sure. And how often do you read the Quran each day? There's certain chapters that we try to read every day, yeah. uh, because they hold certain virtues. And then we're expected to read a chapter a day, which uh, the Quran has about 30 sections, so one yeah. section a day, preferably speaking. It depends on how busy you are, but generally you're, uh, we're encouraged to read as much as possible. Yes. If anyone here in the audience who doesn't read Arabic wanted to dip into the Quran and, and read it for themselves, is there a specific English translation that you would recommend? Right, there's a few that I could probably recommend because no single translation is the best translation because at the end of the, the day, it's the translator's perspective of... Sure, right? sure. But Arbery's is quite good. Then there's my professor, Abdul Halim, Muhammad Abdul Halim, who's a lecturer at SOAS. He's done... Oxford's published his, his one. Then there's the, the glorious Quran by Ahmed Zaki Hamad. That's a very nice one as well. Marmaduke Pickthalls is very nice. He was uh, at the time of the British Empire. Yes. But it's a bit archaic now. Yes, it's a bit like the King James Bible. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And, and to some degree, Ar- Arbery is as well. But, but yes, Arbery is a... more... He's trying to match the, the, the cadence of the Quran. Yes. Which is good for the one who understands Arabic yes. because they can appreciate it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The, the question is now, do you still remember all of the Quran by heart? Absolutely, we Do have you. to. Because I'm, you have to. I'm not going to test you here, yeah. but I know at the beginning of the Quran, um, yeah. this, is, this is very simple, um, but it would be just nice for you to hear. You'd like to hear some Arabic, would you? Yes? Very good. So, well, I, I'd like to hear it as well. So, just at the beginning of at the Quran, there's um, a section which um, Arbery translates simply as the opening. Which could you? Can I read it in English? Please, and then would, yeah. would you recite it in Arabic? That's an easy one. Yeah. And you did. I imagine this is one you do every day, is it? Absolutely. Yeah. So this is Arabic. It's a little bit quaint. Um, the English is a little bit quaint, but it says, "In the name of God, the Merciful, the Compassionate, praise belongs to God, the Lord of all being, the All Merciful, the All Compassionate, the Master of the Day of Doom, Thee only we serve. To Thee alone we pray for succor." Guide us in the straight path, the path of those whom thou hast blessed. 
not of those against whom thou art wrathful, nor of those who are astray. Now, how does that sound in Arabic? أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين آمين. I think we should give a round of applause for that. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Excellent. Just just while we're talking about this, what does the word Quran actually mean? Right. Um, Etymologically, in that sense, uh, some say it's from qara'a, which means to read. And others, um, it's the thing which is read. Yes. So it's a very simple sure. meaning in that sense. Yeah. And, and of course, what we all want to know too is, is what do Muslims believe about the origins of the Quran? Yeah. Where does the Quran come from? How did it come about? Yeah, Muslims believe that uh, God revealed about 104 books. Uh, or scriptures, uh, most of them small scriptures to Abraham, Adam, um, peace be upon them. And then there were four major books. One was the Torah to Moses, peace be upon him. Uh, the Psalms to David, peace be upon him. The Evangel or the, the Bible uh, to uh, Jesus, peace be upon him. And then the Quran to Muhammad, peace be upon him. And the, 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 need for new, the, the need for new scriptures as such was that um, when a prophet came, Muslims, their belief is that uh, um, messages were distorted sometimes, changed and so on. So a new scripture came down. So the Quran is essentially revealed to, Mo, uh, to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, peace be upon him. And then he, uh, he disseminated it. He called the scribes, he got them to write it. People memorized it from him. And essentially that's how it was preserved. But that's one of the things that we have to preserve it in Arabic. Yes. Yeah. So, and this we're talking in, in terms of Christian dates. We're talking about the seventh century, aren't we? Yes, 1,400 years ago. And and it might yeah. be interesting for us to know as Christians that um, Muslims have a different dating system. That's right. So, obviously, when Muhammad came around, that was year one. About five. Uh, the difference between Jesus and uh, Muhammad, peace be upon them, is 579 years approximately. So he came 579 years afterwards. And actually, Muhammad sallallahu said that. He was the last prophet before me. So Jesus was the last prophet, according to Muslims, before Muhammad. But there was a gap of 579 years. We'll talk about that further as as we go on. Um, One of the things that will intrigue anybody who who reads the Quran or or makes an attempt is um, the contents. For instance, if I just turn back to Arbery, um, his translation... Um, if you open it, for instance, um, and this is, this is how Arbery has translated the surahs, is that right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're called the chapters of the Quran are surahs. This is um, some of the chapters you'll be reading. The first one is the opening, which um, Abdul read for us. Then the uh, next chapter is called the cow. Then the house of Imran, women, mm-hmm. the table, cattle, 
the battlements. But as you go on, they're very strange for us as Christians. They, they don't sort of resonate at all. But when you, you, you move on a little bit further, you begin to get chapters entitled Jonah, Joseph, Abraham, mm. Mary, and so forth. So, Abdul, would it be fair to say that the Quran is, is made up in terms of its contents of, of, of surahs that are, if you like, um, specific to Islam, Islamic insights, but also then it's drawing upon the traditions of, of the Torah yes, and right. the Injil, the Gospels. Is that a, right, so I guess there's three major themes in the Quran. Uh, the first is to establish the oneness of God. Right. That's like a major theme in yes. the Quran called Tawheed. Yeah. So you got many verses because the, the Meccans of the time, they believed in many, many idols. So it was about establishing one God. They actually believed in a supreme being as the majority of humans in the world at any given time do believe in something almighty. Uh, but it was just about making the oneness. So that's the first theme. The second theme is to draw on the stories of the past and the accounts purely to take heed, lessons, admonish, um, persuade, dissuade. So look at what happened to the people of Lot. Look at what happened to the people of Noah. So it speaks about the ark and it speaks about the, the, the floods and so on. So it draws a lot on the stories. Yeah. And then the third one is injunctions. Pray, this is how you give the poor Jew, fast, and don't, don't fornicate, don't lie, don't uh, steal, etc. So it's the injunctions, the third one. Right. So in a sense, an ignorant Christian like myself could expect to find um, new material and also then familiar characters I will know from um, the Jewish Bible and the Christian scriptures. There. Sometimes it quotes them clearly. It says, yes. وَكَتَبْنَا عَلَيْهِمْ yes. We prescribed upon the Jews that an eye for an eye. Yes. Uh, this is what we revealed in the previous scriptures. Yes. It actually says that we're here just, it says we're here to confirm yes. what was in the previous scriptures. So you'll actually see that yes. mentioned yes. over and over again. Yes. I think one of the first things, um, certainly I noted when I, I sort of dipped into the Quran several years ago, was that it isn't, um, it isn't a narrative as such. No, no. So as in our Christian scriptures, um, you will begin with um, creation in Genesis, and you'll go on to the mm. book of Revelation, and you'll have, a, if you like, a historical story, a sequential story taking place. It's not like that in, in the Quran, mm. though. Yeah, the Quran itself actually explains, وَلَقَدْ صَرَّفْنَا فِي هَذَا الْقُرْآنِ لِيَذَّكَّرُوا It says, uh, because the whole point of the Quran is to admonish and to remind so the whole point is that it will bring a bit about the story of Moses or Jesus, and then after that it will speak about something else, and then some chapters down it will talk about Moses and Jesus again, you know, in another perspective or for another purpose. The whole idea is, as the Quran says, يُحْدِثُ لَهُمْ ذِكْرًا If the story in the first instance didn't get to your heart, then hopefully in the second instance or the third instance. So it's to keep changing so that it doesn't get boring either, and it's just not some narrative. Just uh, you know, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. It's not about that. It's, it's got its own unique style. Yes. Yeah. Remind us of, of, of the part of the world in, in, in which um, Muslims believe God delivered a message to Muhammad. Um, so we're, we're talking about the Middle East. Where specifically are we right, talking so about? This specifically today, which we would consider the western board of Saudi Arabia. Now, you have to remember to put things in perspective geologically uh, or geopolitically. Uh, to the north, you had the Christians, the Roman Empire. Yep. And then the rest of it towards the, the east, you had the Persian Empire. These were the two big empires of the time. And Mecca, which is in Saudi Arabia today, uh, was considered to be uh, a really uncivilized 
tribes or conglomerate of tribes who themselves used to pride themselves on their language. That's why Arabic actually means the ability to articulate yourself well, eloquently. And they would call everybody else uh, non-eloquent, ajam. Everybody else is called non-eloquent because the, Quran, the, the Arabic is really beautiful. in Greek terms. Yeah, but everybody used to consider because they were the very warring tribes. Now the Quran came down to these people and it just calmed everybody down. And that's why Allah, uh, 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 it says in the Quran, وَأَلَّفَ بَيْنَ قُلُوبِهِمْ That he, com- uh, he consoled the hearts and brought them together. Whereas you people had been fighting for such a long time. So that, that was the initial group that it came yeah. to. We have this misperception as, as Christians, and, and, and I do hear Christians from time to time using this expression, that the Quran just dropped out of the sky and landed in the dust and yeah. written. Now, we do have that idea, notion, that that's how the Quran sort of came about. But that's not strictly true, is it, no, in Muslim it's, thought? It's very interesting because Moses, peace be upon him, received tablets. But when it came to Muhammad, peace be upon him, he would, uh, it, it, the, the Quran was revealed over 23 years, piecemeal, bit by bit, based on the circumstances, based on, somebody asked a question, and uh, what's related is the Prophet, peace be upon him, would suddenly look down, he'd start perspiring, because this was God's divine words being revealed on a human being on a creation of God from the Almighty. So that's an amazing thing, that, uh, an amazing experience and a phenomenon. So, and then after the revelation would end, then he would explain it. So this would happen over and over again. Sometimes a verse would come down, sometimes an entire chapter, sometimes an addition to what's already been mentioned, a different injunction. So it came down piecemeal over 23 years. And during um, his experience, there were times when he thought he was going mad. Or, or was being assailed by demons? Or? In the beginning, that's in the beginning. That, yes. when it was his first experience, the angel Gabriel came to him in human form and said, read. And he says, I'm not a reader, because he was unlettered. He hadn't studied to read or write. And um, so he said, read. He said, I'm not a reader. He said, read. I'm not a reader. He said, read. And then he embraced him very hard. When he came home, he was trembling, because again, this if you, if you think about with the belief that these are the words of the divine coming down onto a mere human being, how do you take that burden on? Because the Quran itself says that if we were to have revealed this Quran, the words of God, onto a mountain, the mountain would have, uh, would have come to pieces. But this is the human heart that's taken it, right, as this great burden. You know, if you understand the divine aspect of it. So he came home, he was trembling, and his wife comforted him. And he said that there's no... Because there was this question when you have these weird experiences that what could it be? It could be some kind of possession. It could be some kind of influence. And his wife said, no, it can't be because... And she praised him, you know, unlike many other wives to their husbands. But she actually praised him. She said, no, you help the poor. You are very hospitable. You make those who need to earn, you get them to earn. You're basically out there helping people. There's no way that you could have an evil influence. And then after that, it was fine. Right. Now, a lot of us here tonight coming from a Christian background, uh, won't know that Muhammad had a Christian uncle. Is that right? He had an uncle who had, uh, uh, who had embraced Christi- uh, right. the Christian tradition yes. at that age, but then he died before, right. uh, before the okay. prophet became a prophet. Oh, okay. So he knew nothing about the, the well, revelations? Or... Well, when he received his first revelation, Muhammad Wasallam's wife took him to that. It wasn't his uncle. Yes. It was her uncle. I see. Or her brother. Yes. And 
And he said, yes, that's, I know that experience. That's the same angels that's come to the previous prophets. And unfortunately, I'm not going to be there when your people will evict you from your hometown. He said, will they do that? And he said, yes, they will do that. Because that was a prophecy uh, that he knew about. And Muslims believe as well, don't they, that the, the Quran was, was shaped also. And again, this sort of contradicts our Christian notion that it just dropped out of the sky. It was um, shaped too by the influences at Mecca and, and Medina as well. So, so are, aren't there sayings which right. come from different contexts? Mm-hmm. Is that well, right? yeah, because in the Mecca, uh, in, when he was in Mecca for the first 13 years of his life, then that's when it was all about just establishing the oneness of God. They were under persecution. Uh, they, didn't, uh, they were being persecuted by the yes. idol worshippers of the time. When they went to Medina, when they migrated there in the 13th year, there was now 10 years in which it was more about now injunctions, how to live as a Muslim, because now they had their own state as such. They had their own rule, that they could freely practice their religion because they'd found a safe haven. So there was that migration. So now any verses that came down in the early period, they're called the, Me- the Meccan verses. And anyone that came after, uh, was revealed afterwards, they're called the Medinan verses. So that's the distinction. Okay. Is there any verse in the Quran that sums up the message of, of the revelation that Muslims believe came to Muhammad. What's the, what's the theological center or core of the, of the Quran? I think the main thing is uh, there's different verses that, uh, for example, there's the Suratul Ikhlas, which means the chapter of sincerity, which actually speaks about Godhood. God is one. Kul Allahu and say that He is one. Allahu Samad, He is the self subsisting one. He doesn't need anybody. Um, and then it says, Lam Yalid Walam Yulad, He was not born from another, and neither does he beget uh, another. And there is nobody co-equal unto him. Uh, Then there's the throne verse. And again, it just speaks about the power of God. That God, um, there is none other than he. He is the living one. Uh, Sleep or slumber doesn't overcome him. Uh, Administrating the affairs of the universe doesn't tire him. So it's, it's all in that sense. And then, so I don't know if there's one particular verse that sums up everything, but I think that's the core message, is to get somebody back to God. And, of course, you have the context behind all of that is the polytheism of the time. Of the time. Mm-hmm. And also, we can chat about this a little later on, the, um, I suppose, to the encounter with, with Christians and, 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 and their beliefs as well. Which was in, in Medina, which was much later. Which, so there which, are some verses in sure. that. Sure. Uh, and then the prophet, uh, peace be upon him, actually wrote to Heraclius, who was yes. the leader of the Roman Empire of yes. the time. Yes. And he says, Come to ta'ala ila kalimatin sawa'in baynana wa baynakum. Come to a formula that we, that we proclaim that is the same between us two. And uh, I guess he negated the, the concept of the Trinity and the concept of the sonhood as such of, of Jesus, uh, but said, let's come to at least God. And what's interesting is that Heraclius, unlike the Persian leader, the Persian leader took the letter and just tore it up to pieces. And then Prophet Muhammad actually said at that time that uh, God will tear up his kingdom the way he tore up my letter. And that's exactly what happened. The Roman Empire was actually greater than the... Sorry, the Persian Empire was actually greater than the Roman Empire at the time. They just won a battle. But with the Roman Empire, it actually carried on for a long time. He respected the letter. He actually called one of the people of Mecca that were in his area and he said, what is this all about? And he showed, he showed uh, goodness towards it. And of course, what we mean by Roman Empire at this particular 
period in history is the Byzantine Empire. Right, after um, Constantine. Yes, yeah. yes, right, which was a kind of Christian. No, no, before Constantine. Ro- 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 no, um, no, after, 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 exactly. after Constantine, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Um, three thirty-two. So, so it's it's a Christianized Roman Empire that, that was eventually to lead into the Middle yeah, Ages. Not the pagan Roman. Yeah, 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 right. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I suppose you know our, our series is, is entitled "Which Jesus," and you've given some um, wonderful background um, to, to various topics there connected with the Quran. I suppose one of the key questions we want to think about tonight is this: is um, who is Jesus? According to the Quran, as as a Christian, it, it, it's intriguing to, to 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 read the Quran and discover um, how little one reads about Muhammad. He, he doesn't he doesn't present himself exactly. very much. That's right. Um, he only he's only mentioned four times. Mm. And I think um, from my reading of the Arabic, he's um, mentioned four times by name. Yes, uh, Muhammad. Yes, yes. Mm. Uh, but thirty five times then Jesus is mentioned or referred to. Um, so so strangely for Christians. Jesus is mentioned many more times than, than Muhammad. Um, so um, I think it's intriguing that Muhammad doesn't present himself um, and, and that Jesus is quite prominent in, in, in the Quran. In a nutshell, who is Jesus according to the Quran? I think there's uh, one thing about Jesus is that there's a lot of coverage on him, as you mentioned, 35 uh, verses. So I would say if you look at chapter Chapter 3, which is actually called the house of Imran, who is the, the grandfather of Jesus, right, from his mother's side. Uh, that's the only side he had, according to the Muslim perspective anyway. Then chapter 4 speaks about the crucifixion, right? And then you have chapter 19, which is actually chapter of Mary. So there's a whole chapter called chapter of Mary. So in the first, uh, in the first instance, it speaks about, it goes back to, the house of Imran, the family of Imran. So you had a man called Imran, whose wife, wife's name was Hanna, Hannah. And she vowed to God that when she became pregnant, that I'm going to give this child that I get to the, uh, to the temple. She was expecting a boy because that's who you gave to in the service of the temple. When she begot, it says, إِذْ قَالَتِ امْرَأَةُ عِمْرَانَ رَبِّ إِنِّي نَذَرْتُ لَكَ مَا فِي بَطْنِي مُحَرَّرًا فَتَقَبَّلْ مِنِّي إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ السَّمِيعُ الْعَلِيمُ فَلَمَّا وَضَعَتْهَا قَالَتْ رَبِّ إِنِّي وَضَعْتُهَا أُنْثَى That's the verses of the Qur'an. When she gave birth to it, she gave birth to a daughter. So she was a bit upset that I won't be able to. But God consoled and said, don't worry, this daughter is superior to many men. Right? Because this is going to be Mary. So she, they, she was accepted by Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, into the temple. And he looked after her. And he would see miracles. And what I'm mentioning right now is all just from the Quran. I'm not adding from the hadith yet. So uh, when Zechariah would come to her in her chamber, he would see that she has fruits out of season. Anna lakihada, Where do you get these from? And she says, these are, you know, these are from God. Then when she gets old enough, suddenly an angel comes in front of her and uh, says to her that, I've come from God to tell you that you're going to have a child. How am I going to have a child? I've never touched a man. No man has ever touched me. I mean, that's, that's, that's quite a big statement she made. And he says, God, God decrees as he wishes. And he blew the soul into her. How, that, that's not mentioned in the Quran, how uh, commentators have you know, speculated or taken from some traditions. When she started carrying, it was a nine-month peri- uh, nine uh, uh, um, embryonic st- stages of, uh, uh, of Jesus. 
There was a person, a carpenter or somebody that used to work whose name was Joseph. This is where Joseph the carpenter comes in. And he, he saw that she was becoming pregnant in the sense that she was pregnant. So he, he said, look, I want to ask you a question. Don't take it bad. But how do you get a tree without a seed? How, do you get a, how does somebody get a child without, you know, without a husband? Immediately she recognized and she explained that this is, this is from God and this is a miracle. But then she realized that people are not going to take this very well. Of course not, right? So she, escaped, she ran away. And then the Quran says that um, uh, Allah, uh, uh, God, uh, uh, addressed her and said, Do not fear. Do not grieve. Finally, she had the child. When I visited Bethlehem about four years ago, uh, th- there are the three or four churches there that they say is the place of the birth of Jesus. Uh, the Quran actually makes it out that it was on the, uh, uh, by a river somewhere. The tour guide that was actually taking us around, he explained you know, his normal, and then after that he said, personally, I don't believe that. I don't believe this is the birthplace. I think it's a few miles away from here. God knows best. We're not going to argue about that. Right? <laughs> so... Um, God says there that, uh, now she's very worried obviously, now she has the child. Now God tells her that when anybody from your community approach you, say you are fasting. And fasting in those days meant you didn't speak either, right? which would be really nice right, for some people uh, today. But um, he said, uh, you know, say that I have vowed to fast. So now she comes and the people found her missing from the temple and they went looking for her. They, this is where, it doesn't mention this in the Quran, but some commentators mentioned that they found a shepherd, right? Uh, who said, I don't know where she is, but I saw something strange happening. I saw stars shining a light in this, towards Bethlehem, which we call Baytul Laham, the house of meat. That's in Arabic, Baytul Laham means the house of meat, right? So they went in that direction, they found her there with a child. Anna laki hadha. Where'd you get this child from? You can imagine the accusations that were flying around at that time. She just, she just gestured to them that I can't speak. And that's when the miracle took place. And that's mentioned in the chapter of Mary, chapter 19, right? which you could go and read if you want to in detail. Jesus spoke as an infant, just a, a day old or something, which is a miracle. He spoke as this child, as an infant. He said, I am the servant of God and uh, and he uh, and God has chosen me, etc., etc. Inni Abdullah atani al-kitab wa jalani nabiya wa jalani mubarak an aina ma kuntu wa ausani bil-salati wa zakati ma dumtu hiya. Allah has made me. God has made me blessed, and so on. Now, obviously, when a miracle like that takes place, they all calm down. This is a miracle. So they they were placated, they were comforted, and uh, and then after that, just as with the Christian sources, as far as I know, there's no mention of Jesus anymore. 30 years, he disappears. Right? Neither the Christian sources, neither the Muslim sources speak about Jesus anymore. Suddenly he reappears when he's 30 years old in the Quran. He suddenly starts telling people what they've got at home. He tells people what they differ about. He tells, he, he's able to cure the leper. This is, This is, uh, this is in chapter 3. So uh, it, it mentions that uh, I, I can cure the leper, I can cure the blind. And he actually did that. The stories about that, but the Quran uh, it, it quotes him saying this. And I can even bring the dead back to life. And another thing he says that I can, uh, I can make 
the form of a bird or something and blown it with the name of God and it will become alive. So these were all miracles that he was showing. So then we hear about him uh, for a number of years and then after that, the Quran in chapter 4 speaks about, about the Israelites of the time and how... Th- and this is where he, the Quran is repudiating the Israelites and their belief that they killed Jesus. And it does it with a lot of passion here because generally the Quran doesn't overemphasize things like that. But here it says, وَقَوْلِهِمْ إِنَّا قَتَلْنَا الْمَسِيحَ عِيسَى بْنَ مَرْيَمَ رَسُولَ And because they said that we killed uh, Jesus, the son of Mary. Right? وَمَا قَتَلُوهُ They did not kill him. وَمَا صَلَبُوهُ They did not crucify him. وَلَكِنْ شُبِّهَ لَهُمْ But the matter was made ambiguous for them. Now, my own commentary here is that definitely somebody was killed on the cross. There's no doubt about that because so many people witnessed it. That's why the Qur'an is saying, but the matter was made ambiguous for them. And then it says, وَمَا قَتَلُوهُ يَقِينًا They definitely did not kill him. Now, that's what the Qur'an says. It doesn't tell you what... Then it says, بَرَّفَعَهُ اللَّهُ إِلَيْهِ God raised him to himself. God raised Jesus to himself and he wasn't killed. Facts on the ground tell us somebody was killed. How do you reconcile between the two? Now this is where I'll quote some of the commentators, like Qurtubi, who's a famous commentator. What, what, what he says here is that there's two possibilities. The commentators give two possibilities. One possibility they give, see the Quran is only trying to establish a hard fact that he was not killed or crucified, but God raised him to himself. Now the commentary is trying to fill in the gaps here. So they're saying that the one possibility is that Jesus found out that he was going, they were coming for him. Because we know the story, right? They were coming for him, the Romans, and, and uh, at whoever's instigation, right? Um, so he, he was in a house with his disciples, and he asked one of them to volunteer. Volunteer to be like me. God will make his features like myself. Then he'll have to face whatever he has to face, but then he'll be with me in paradise, which was a high position. So one of them volunteered, and thus he, he gave him his garment, or whatever the story is there. He went outside and he was crucified, and God raised Jesus. That's one opinion. The other opinion, again, these are speculative. The other opinion is that one of the people from the army or whoever had come, they, officials, they actually came in to look for him. God raised Jesus... And this particular individual, when he went back out, he was made to look like Jesus, and thus he was crucified. Right? God knows best exactly who was crucified, but what, he, what God establishes in the Quran, the Quran like empathically says, is that he was not killed. Now the Muslim belief here, two things. One is that we believe he's up there on the second heaven or somewhere. He will come back at the end of times to finish his mortal life off. Because he's the one individual who hasn't died a mortal death yet, but has left this world. He will come back towards the end of time, and he will take care of the Antichrist. And this gets, you know... And maybe, if I could just hold you there for a moment. Um, You've raised some very interesting questions which I want to sort of explore with you more fully. But it might be a good time now, just coming up a minute or two to quarter, to pause there with those thoughts. and, And we'll have a break. We'll come back at 8 o'clock, there's tea and biscuits, coffee, whatever, and then we can discuss this further and, and, and bring sort of Christian questions to you about what you've just been saying. Okay. So, um, round of applause for Abdurrahman. Thank you very much. 
just to pick up on, on, on a, uh, obviously a number of the things that, that you were saying, um, I, I imagine a Christian, as I sat down and, and read some of these stories that, that you've mentioned um, from the Quran, when you, you read, I mean, Christians probably didn't know that um, in the Quran, Jesus is virgin born. There's two accounts in the Quran of, of, of Jesus' virgin conception. Um, and, and that's quite surprising. Um, I suppose a, a Christian might, might want to ask you, this, 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 is sort of, this will help you with your apologetics in, in, in days to come, just to know the kind of questions what one might ask. Um, what, what kind of person is virgin born? I suppose it's an ontological question. That is, it's, it's a question about the, the nature and being of, 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 of Jesus. Um, you know, I don't know anybody, I'm sure you don't have to know anybody who was virgin born. Right. Um, and, and so um, Christians and uh, Muslims, of course, uh, believe Jesus was. But what kind of person doesn't have a, a human father? Mm. So if I was to pose that question to you, what kind of direction might you point me in to think about? Mm. What do Muslims believe there? Because obviously Christians are going to say, Somebody who, who is divine doesn't have a human father. Right. Um, so what would your response be yeah. as a Muslim? I think what I would probably say here is, uh, as God actually teaches in the Quran, it says, إِنَّ مَثَلَ عِيسَى عِنْدَ اللَّهِ كَمَثَلِ آدَمْ خَلَقَهُ مِنْ تُرَابٍ ثُمَّ قَالَ لَهُ كُنْ فَيَكُونَ That verily, the, this is what the Quran said. I mean, obviously preempts this question because it's obviously going to be a phenomenal um, issue. So he says, the example of Jesus, according to God, is like that of Adam, where God said, he created them, him, Adam, he created him from soil, in the sense that he formed his body, uh, or he made his form from soil, and then he said to it, be, and it was. Now, if Jesus is to be, my response would be that if Jesus is to be godly, divine, son, whatever, then what about Adam, who was even more miraculous? So that's what the Quran says, that if you don't find the birth of Adam to be so extraordinary that it leads you to these kind of beliefs, then why would you do that with Jesus, who at least had a mother? So, I mean, and I guess the only other option uh, is to say that when Jesus does come back, Adam won't, peace be upon him, but when Jesus does come back, I guess... We'll have some more proof. We can then. ask him. We can ask we him can then. Ask Otherwise, him. we'll be arguing until. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. yes. I, I, I suppose, I suppose, as, as a Christian, the idea, of course, uh, is if if Jesus was virgin born, and and, and as the Quran says, uh, you know, Allah says, be, and, and and Jesus was. Why was that necessary? Because Muhammad was was born of human parents, um, so why not Jesus? Mm. I suppose. A Christian is asking that kind of question. That's very interesting because uh, God does these things which seem very strange to us. He does certain things. Mm. Most things that happen in the world are, happen according to a customary ways of the way that God wants it mm. predictable. But on occasion, he does things which are unpredictable, that seem extraordinary. A miracle to test the belief of people. Because if everything just seemed to go according to expectation and uh, you, know, you roll the dice and it was six all the time, then what's belief then? And in Islam, we have this real important concept of yu'minuna bil ghayb. They believe in the unseen. Personally, I believe it's a test 
to see who's going to believe and who's not going to believe. But again, we can be... Why not Muhammad? Why, why not Muhammad? Why did that not happen to Muhammad? Because for a person to be born without a father or mother, it shows a distinction of sort, but not necessarily superiority. Because when we would say that all prophets uh, have distinction, but there were certain prophets that were given a certain distinction over others. So in terms of being born without a father, that was given to, uh, to, to Jesus, peace be upon him. But that doesn't prove that he's necessarily superior to Abraham, for example, who was born of two parents. It's just an incidental aspect of it that has its wisdoms. It's a test for the people. But I don't think it makes him... Uh, I mean, I don't think it's ever caused any Muslim to think, oh, that means Jesus must be superior to... Muhammad, why not Muhammad? Because nowhere did God say that because he was born without a father, that means he must be superior to you know this prophet yes. and that prophet. Yes. I perhaps might say it's 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 rather more than incidental that, that somebody would be virgin born. But incidental, I, I, absolutely. Yes, I, 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 it's a I causation. Yeah, I get that. So that's yeah. something to think about uh, um, for Christians, at least, to pose that question, and for Muslims, because mm. certainly Christians will want to push that. Um, that, that kind of question. So uh, to my Muslim friends, I, I would invite them to, to explore that. Another question uh, would be, and this again is fascinating, uh, for a Christian, I mean, I imagine most people here, Christians here, haven't read the Quran. Um, but if you do, you might be surprised to read that Jesus is called the Messiah in, mm-hmm. in the Quran, which again is extraordinary. Why is Jesus called the Messiah? Messiah? What does that mean? Yeah. Right, the word Masih, which is the Arabic word for Messiah, comes from Masaha, which could mean, these are all the possibilities of why he's called Masih or Messiah. So one is because he used to pass his hand over the leper or over the blind person and he would become better. So it's Masaha means to pass your hand over something. Um, another meaning of it also is that he's able to travel. So these are various meanings that are possibility. Uh, again, it's, I think maybe in Christian thought Messiah means the promised one or the, But that doesn't have its roots in Islam I mean from the literal perspective it doesn't have that yeah. Because Antichrist is also called a Masih because, But there it's taken in the passive Where he's the one who's, uh, whose eye has been wiped over yeah. Thus he's only one-eyed So in Islam you've got Masih al-Dajjal Which is the Messiah Antichrist and you've got Masih Isa ibn Maryam, Masih Jesus, son of Mary. Right. So you don't, you don't think there's a connection with, with the Hebrew notion, Mashiach, of, of Messiah, of anointed one? Anointed one is another possibility, is another possibility. but uh, yes. Mm. Yeah. And I, I suppose a, a Christian will wonder, looking at, at this kind of evidence, whether there is the influence, um, and, and this is something that the, the Quran doesn't um, shy away from, from saying the influence of the Jewish scriptures and the Injil, the Gospels, and, and, and so something of the legacy of what's gone before is, is, is carried forward, is carried on in, in the Quran, even if it's not explicated fully. So that we, we do have these intriguing references, as I say, to, mm. to, to Jesus being virgin born and also to being the Messiah without the Quran ever really fully explaining it in perhaps the way that, 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 that you have there. But it, it seems to me that, that there is a kind of um, Judeo-Christian vocabulary um, that, that's used. 
and, and carried forward, if you like, in, 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 into um, the Quran, but, but is, is, never, is never developed or, or you know, explained. And I, I suppose think, this is where the hadith come in. Well, that, that's true, but then you see the Quran tries to speak about the things which are important for people without it becoming a book of just discoveries. Yeah. It's, it only speaks about those things which are going to be beneficial for people to take a lesson so it doesn't give you the additional juicy details all the time. It gives you the facts, the, 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 the big issue, the big picture. Because there's only so many words that are part of the Qur'an. So God is very selective in terms of what He says. And then after that, the rest of it, which is not important for your faith as such. It's for only to placate your curiosity. Then I guess that's where you learn from other sources or you get the other speculation. But then the hadith fills in some yes. of the other gaps. Yes. Uh, and much of the much of the discussion about could you t- just tell what hadith is for right the so hadith are the sayings the statements of the prophet muhammad peace be upon him when he's explicating the quran or speaking about and a lot of the prophecies are from him so all um, much of the discussion in fact we have and this is where it gets really detailed we actually have a hadith a statement a tradition from the prophet muhammad peace be upon him which actually says where jesus is going to come what he's going to look like, what his appearance is going to be. So uh, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, says that I see, as, as though he's been shown a vis- vision, that I see a man with reddish, uh, with, with, with reddish brown complexion, or wheatish complexion. Actually, I remember something. You know when the Passion of Christ uh, movie came yeah. out? Yeah. So I was in Santa Barbara, California at the time, and again, there was an interfaith program we had with, uh, with some of the local Christian priests, pastors, and so on. And um, there was a group of African Americans that came in, right? Um, and they started challenging the priests that, why do you people show Jesus as being white? And they, they, it was a really embarrassing moment because nobody was able to give a good answer. So I, kept, I jumped in and I said, look, what, what the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, he said is that in one tradition it mentions he was reddish white. In another one it says he was yellowish, brownish, uh, wheatish complexion. So he was neither black or white completely, <laughs> right? So that got them off the hook at that time, right? Yes. But anyway, yes. the, the, so th- these things are from hadith. You won't find that in the Quran as to yes. how Jesus yes. looked. Yes. Yes. And then the Prophet, he describes the Jal, Antichrist. Then he describes that at the end of time, towards the end of time, Jesus will descend, peace be upon him, he will descend on the eastern minaret of the mosque in Damascus. Now what's very interesting about this tradition is that there was no mosque in, tradi- in Damascus at the time. Damascus was only conquered much later. And there was no white minaret, There's, there was no existence of such. But he, that's what he said. Today, if you go to Damascus, if anybody's been to Damascus, and hopefully God brings stability, may, may Almighty bring stability to that region, um, it's, it's this massive mosque called the Umayyad Mosque, and there is an eastern minaret, and I, I actually studied in this mosque for a short period, about three, four months in, two, uh, in, nine, in 99, uh, 98, right? A beautiful place. So there is this white minaret, that's where he said it will come. There's also other traditions that explain that the Jews, the Christians, the Muslims will all be there waiting for Jesus because there will be some... Armageddon, essentially, major problems in the world. And Jesus will come down. So what the hadith mentions is Jesus will descend, uh, supported by angels, onto this eastern minaret. And then they will leave him there and he will ask for a ladder. It says that he will ask for a ladder because now he's in the world. 
So the world is a place of means, and thus he will then come down, and then he will go after the Antichrist and kill him in a place called Lod, in, by Jerusalem. Right? There's actually a city in Israel called Lod, where Ben-Gurion International Airport is, the Tel Aviv Airport. I've actually visited a city, there's Muslims that live there as well. It's actually a Muslim city. Uh, there's lots of Muslims there that live there, just outside of Jerusalem. Actually, before Tel Aviv, sorry. It's outside of Jerusalem. So, these disc- the, the, all of this detail is there. Then it speaks about the coming of um, Gog Magog. But then it shows that Jesus won't have any power against them. The way he managed to deal with the Antichrist and kill the Antichrist, he won't have the same power. Then what it mentions is that he will obviously proclaim the truth as to what the truth is. Everybody will come on the same belief. And it gets so detailed in the hadith then, you probably read those, it, it says he will, um, uh, he, he will um, do a number of things. One is he will get rid of the swine, right? Uh, uh, and I think um, uh, he mentions a number of other things. And it says after that people will be either with him or against him, right? And he will proclaim the truth and that's when... and that's. Uh, uh, another verse in the Quran actually says What's the other verse? It mentions that there are none of the people of the book But they will eventually believe in Jesus in the correct way before they die And explain who the people of the book are The people of the book briefly. are the Jews and the Christians yeah. Right, so God has actually given the Jews and the Christians A higher status than just other non-Muslims because they had a book, a scripture from God, although we believe that it's, they've been changed and there's discrepancies within them and so on, but they, they had a divine book and thus they're closer to Muslims than others, generally speaking, uh, in terms of having a faith and not being just agnostic or atheist for that matter. Yeah. Moving on just briefly um, before we, we, we get to the questions, a few more. Um, Jesus didn't die uh, according to the Quran. Um, I have read of, of some Muslim scholars who argue are prepared to admit he did die, but was resurrected or, or, or taken up. There are some scholars, okay, there may be a minority who view, believe but, that. Yeah. yeah. The question I suppose I want to ask there is, what is the problem, in a sense, with with the notion of Jesus dying because uh, and suffering? Because in a sense, Muhammad suffered. He was rejected, uh, you know, locally. Yeah, he had to move on. Right, yeah. He had. He was involved in battles, um, and he died. He he, he experienced and suffered death. What's the problem with Jesus experiencing I guess that? it's just the Quran is trying to establish a fact. He's, God is saying, I know what happened. So, yes. I mean, yes. Yes. if he yes. told us he did die on the cross, we'd believe yes. it. But yes. we're just... Sure. Sure. That, that's why he only focuses on saying he did not die on the cross. Yes. He doesn't tell us the details of what happened. Yes, yes he didn't die and he was raised up. But... That's, that's what we believe yes. because now, you, of that. You're, yeah. you're an, uh, an apologist as well, and I, I, I try as a Christian to be a, an apologist for Christian faith. And, and we, we both have to in, in, deal and encounter with unbelievers, right. people right. who don't believe in God, um, and, and, and um, the afterlife and judgment and so forth, and, and, and don't believe in resurrection and, and so forth. Um, and uh, it, it must be difficult in a sense if, 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 if one says, for example, um, that... Jesus wasn't crucified, but somebody was transformed to look like him or, yeah. or made to appear like him, and he was crucified in his head. You know, as well as I know, that to go into any historical faculty mm. in any university in the world, one would have a problem sustaining that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. and, and in a sense, 
as a Muslim scholar, is, is that something you, you have to think about, or, or do you feel there's nothing you can really say about that, and so you just have to present it and move on? Yeah. What do you, you feel? You see, because uh, for us, we've got a ton of other things to think yeah. about. And the concept of God, uh, uh, the concept of Jesus... Uh, being crucified or not crucified, the Quran clears it very clearly. I mean, it says it. I mean, as I, as I mentioned, the words the matter was made ambiguous for them. Then it goes on and it says, that even those people who've differed about it, they've actually doubtful about what really happened. And nobody can say for sure what happened, right? Now, for us, that's enough. Because at the end of the day, Muslims, you'll, what you'll find with Muslims is that generally, if that's what the Qur'an says, that's fine. The issue of Jesus doesn't really cause a big confusion for Muslims because our belief is through the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. So this is a historical issue. Sure. So we don't want to... I mean, there are scholars, obviously, who'd like to study that more and things sure. like that. But generally, for me, personally speaking... I've just moved on. Yes. Okay, that's what the Quran says. And these are what some of the commentators give as explanations of what may have happened in the background. God knows best. Yes. And, yes. and that's how I move on anyway. Yes, because yeah. as a Christian reading the Quran, one of the things that struck me was um, obviously the, the, the importance that's, that's given to Jesus. I mean, Jesus is going to have a second coming and, and come back as, as a judge. Um, so that's quite an, you know, an important position to have in God's um, economy of salvation and, and, and deliverance and, and so forth. And that, uh, sorry, another, another yeah. thing there is obviously the miracle aspect of it. Mm. That okay, you had Adam, peace be upon him, who was born without father or mother. Yeah. Then you had Jesus, right, somewhere you know, in, in, the, in the history, that, who didn't have a father. So for us, it's just a miracle. So that, that for us actually probably increases our faith that God has power over everything. He doesn't do miracles every day, and they don't, you know, no human can invoke a miracle like that because that's not what this world is about. But they do happen. Mm. So that's mm. another way that we look at it to mm. increase our faith by believing yes. that. And I know, I know, that's just like a very believing and not academic way of doing things. But uh, that's what a believer is. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, su- I suppose what, what I was driving at uh, uh, as a Christian is, is is the notion that Jesus is very important in, in Islam, and yet. In the Quran, although it's referred to on 35 occasions, there's very, there's very little about his teaching. Um, and uh, this seems to be, again, what, what you're saying, Abdur, that, that you, know, you accept the fact of Jesus, he was virgin-born, he will descend in a second coming in some kind of capacity as a judge. But it, it, doesn't, it doesn't lend itself to too much reflection or um, when, when Muslims um, express their, um, I suppose, their, their acceptance of the Injil, the Gospels, uh, or Gospel or, or whatever, um, and, and respect that, the, the Gospels and so forth, there's, there's very little exploration of, of, of the Injil, yeah. if you like. It's sort of accepted mm. and then bypassed. But well, what I wanted to say yeah. to you, if, if, if you'll excuse my rudeness for interrupting, um, is what is interesting... I came across some hadith, which um, you, you know, Tarif Khalidi. Will you, 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 you know? Uh, no, no. I think no. He, I think he has translations of the Quran. I think um, Tarif Khalidi. Um, th- th- this is a very interesting collection of hadith of sayings, Muslim sayings about Jesus, which are quite interesting from the eighth um, century right right through to the fourteenth century. 
Um, and whereas in the Quran one doesn't get um, really very much about Jesus' teachings, I thought I might just read a couple of the um, hadith, which, which are quite interesting. Um, uh, for, for example, this is al-Mubarak. You, you may know him. He's from the 8th century or, or, or the, um, I think that's the, is that the 2nd century in, in the Muslim calendar. This is just very interesting. Re- remember when um, Abdur speaks about the hadith, the stories he was saying, um, he's, you, you're not referring to the Quran. You were referring to traditions about Jesus that, and saints that have been collected. And what Muslim scholars like, like yourself do and have done through the centuries is they evaluate the sayings, don't they, and to see whether these are authentic or, or inauthentic. Well, th- that's the hadith have to be evaluated. Yes, that's right. The sayings it, of the Prophet Muhammad, yeah, ascribed that's, sayings. That's right, him, yeah. that's right. So I think that's just important to remember that um, uh, some of the stuff that, that Abdul is referring to isn't about Jesus in the Quran, but, but in the hadith, which are traditions um, from the Prophet Muhammad that, that have been handed down and, and Muslim scholars evaluate them. I've done this for centuries and, and will decide. And, and Muslim scholars are not afraid to say such and such a saying is not authentic. So they're quite upfront about that. I, I thought I'd read a couple of the hadith for you because they are most interesting. There's nothing controversial in them, but they are very interesting. Um, this, this one um, is, is, comes from um, al-Mubarak. I don't know whether that means he's, he's the, the, the traditioner, the person who um, first came across it. But, but um, this is one that comes from the 8th century of the Christian era. Jesus said, blessed is he who guards his tongue, whose house is sufficient for his needs, and who weeps for his sins. Mm. That's a a very interesting Mm. hadith. Now, here's another one. Um, This comes from um, the late 9th century, um, from um, Abdullah ibn Qatayba, or whatever, 884, uh, of the Christian era, and, and 271, of, of, of the Muslim era. And, and these are sayings of Jesus that have been passed on in, in, in the Muslim community. Very interesting. Jesus says this, Blessed is he who sees with his heart, but whose heart is not in what he sees. Which is very, yeah, interesting. very, very interesting. Deep. That's deep, yeah. And, and here's another one. Christ said, The world mm-hmm. is a bridge. Cross this bridge, but do not build upon it. Right. Oh, that's quite... Yeah, a lot of his sayings yeah. are about asceticism, about... Yes. L- Love of the uh, love of the hereafter, yes. love yes. of the other world, and not love of this world. Yes. Yeah. Here's another one, which is my favourite one. Christ passed by a group of people who hurled insults at him, and he responded with blessings. He passed by another group who insulted him, and he responded likewise. One of his disciples asked, "Why is it that the more they insult you, the more you bless them, as if inviting this upon yourself?" Christ said, "A person." can bring forth only what is within him. Mm. So they're, they're very, mm. as a Christian, I they're very profound thoughts. Mm. Um, uh, here's another one then from, um, this is from the early 12th century. Jesus was passing by a cemetery. This is from Abu al, al um, I can't see this properly, Abu al-Qasim al-Qasari. Abu al-Qasim something. Yes, that's what I, that's what I say. Okay. <laughs> that's what I um, and, 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 and this is from uh, the early 12th century, from the 1100s. Jesus was passing by a cemetery. He called one of the dead, and God resurrected him. Jesus asked him, who are you? I was one supporter, the man replied. I was carrying some firewood for a man, 
and broke off a twig to clean my teeth. Since I died, I've been asked a lot about the twig. Hmm. So they're fascinating, these sayings. Hmm. Um, If they weren't authentic, if they weren't, they're still intriguing that Hmm. they are coming from a non-Christian community. Um, So We actually have Hamza Yusuf. He's actually compiled a book of the sayings. I see, yeah. It's called Walking on Water. Yes. And actually, I think that's based on a particular story that's related. And somebody asked uh, Jesus, peace be upon him, how can you walk on water? He said, with certainty. He said, but we have certainty as well. <laughs> right? So he said, no, the only time you have certainty is if gold, sand, and stone all become the same for you. That's what you yes, call certainty. Yes, yes. So a lot of them are about asceticism. Yes, it's, yeah. it's extremely profound. They're, they're very, very moving mm-hmm. pieces. Um, but these are hadith traditions of things yeah. um, you know, about Jesus, which, which are not mentioned in the Quran, but which Muslim scholars think are, or believe are authentic. So um, having said that, Abdur, I just want to move on um, finally for um, sort of the, the concluding part of the evening, really, by looking at some of the questions that people have asked. There's a lot here, and obviously I don't think we can get through all of them, but we, we can try and get through some of them. Uh, I don't, haven't looked at them yet, um, but uh, if, if they're too long or, or I can't read them or, or we've covered them already, I might bypass them, so please don't take any offence. The first one I look at, again, is five, five or six lines here. Let me see. Um, well, this is just uh, a question, and I suppose if I could ask, I'll give brief answers for this, okay. and we'll go through as many as we can. What do Muslims uh, believe about the Holy Spirit? Well, it depends on what you mean by the Holy Spirit, but generally speaking, it's uh, you've got God, and then you've got the angel, Jibril we call him, Gabriel, and then if that's the, the Holy Spirit that's being spoken about. Right. Now, it's interesting because... But in, there's in, no concept of Trinity, as I said. No, of in, course. In Islam, yeah. um, um, and that's another talk we'll have you back for. Now, it, it, <laughs> it's, it, we don't have time to go into it tonight. But it is interesting um, that, that Jesus is actually called Spirit of God, isn't he? It's He's called a spirit as well. Yes. Because he was born... Uh, yes. yes. Because he was born from the, the, the spirit blown in, into him yes. directly as opposed to through impregnation yes, as yes, such, yes. through a man. Yeah. So again, that, that, that's intriguing. These are tantalizing for a Christian. Um, so let's move on. Um, so really, the Holy Spirit then doesn't really feature in, in, in Islam. Now let me see. Um, right, I, I'll just put that one to one side. I think that's a bit... I'm going to take it too long. Um, yes, this is a good question. Why do you say, peace be upon him? Um, and, and this particular individual goes, goes on to say about people who are long dead. Okay, that's a very good question. I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> I bet you are. Yeah. See, because I think, I, I think the Christians actually share in this, because once I was with a rabbi, and uh, he, he mentioned that Jews are not required to be and emulate David. In fact, he mentioned a story to me, uh, to us as a congregation. He said that uh, a person will come to, uh, to God in the hereafter, and God will say to him, what have you brought? He said, I tried to be like David in everything. And God would say to him, but I, want, I already created one David. Why did you try to be like him for? Right? But I think in Islam, in Islam definitely, and I think in Christianity as well, it's like trying to be like someone, revering them. So our uh, concept is that there were approximately 124,000 prophets that God sent from Adam 
to then Jesus and then Muhammad, peace be upon them all. And we actually required as part of etiquette to, to say peace be upon them, to be respectful to them. Yes. And there's, yeah. Okay. So we've similar expressions like of happy memory or, or whatever. Now, not very religious, but it's, okay. it's, it's, yeah. it's that kind of, right. of thing of, of, of showing respect. Okay, good. Let's have a look at the next one. Um, Again, if you could be brief, just because we want to get through as many as we can. As a Muslim, um, how can you be sure of forgiveness for sins? You can never be sure. That's one thing. You can never be sure, but you have hope. One thing that God does say, uh, and we're taught in Islam, is that if you've sought forgiveness, and there are conditions for forgiveness, which is to regret your sin, to promise never to do it again, and to abandon the sin then you've got the hope for reward. But our, uh, generally what's explained is that a believer's faith is in between hope and uh, despondency. So you can't, uh, if you're despondent, you're not a believer. And if you have too much hope, then you're, you're, that, that doesn't get you anywhere. So it has to be between the two. You have to be hopeful, but you have to also be frightened. And you have to have your love for God, and hopefully He'll forgive you as long as you're doing everything right. But you can never be 100% sure. Right, okay, there you are, you have it from the Imam himself. Is there anything about Christianity that would make you consider becoming a Christian? I didn't write this. Okay. <laughs> it, it might look like my handwriting, but it's not. <laughs> I've never really had to give it a thought because when you're happy with the house that you live in, I mean. And you're quite comfortable with it, then your eyes don't go to other places, yes, you know. Yes. So. We're not offended. <laughs> yes, I, I thought you'd say that. <laughs> no. um, let's see. I'll just put that on one side. We've dealt with that. Um, now, this this this, this question is is um, a question that that's very typical today. You you hear this a lot today. Do you believe that all religions, Muslims, Jews, and Christians, will all end up in the same place? Anyway, the way uh, generally that's explained from a faith perspective is that any believer of any prophet of the time, the prophet that's active at the time, so in the time of Jesus, peace be upon him, it was those who followed him with his true message, time of Moses, his true message, and then thus in the time of Muhammad, peace be upon them all, uh, those who followed him, they will have the salvation. And those who changed and uh, who modified or uh, uh, didn't follow the true teachings, they will not be in the same place. That's the belief that the Muslims hold. Very good. Let's have a look at the next one. Um, Well, the answer to this has to be no, I think. There won't be any prophet after Muhammad. No, we believe him to be the last last prophet. prophet. Okay. Jesus will come back, but not in the capacity of a prophet. Right, okay. What capacity will he come back in? As a leader as somebody to deal with Antichrist and um, uh, as an imam. Okay. Right. Yeah. right. Like yourself. No, no. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> um, now, let's see. i just pick up another one. We're nearly there. Well, I think we'll get through these. Um, right. I'm just ignoring ones that we've already sort of touched upon, so please bear with me. Um, something on the virgin conception, which we've tackled a little bit tonight. There's a blank sheet of paper. This is a philosophical, like a Buddhist, a Buddhist cone. You have to ponder the blank. Invisible ink. Invis- yes, invisible ink, perhaps. Let's see. Um, um, right, okay. That, that one's too Christian. Um, what does that mean? Well, it, it's sort of... Um, 
It's a bit obvious, okay. you know. Um, it was just about Jesus. Christian claims Jesus is divine and Muhammad is human and so forth. I think forth. we've dealt but with that. But we've, we've yeah. sort of, I yeah. think, we've, we've dealt with that. Um, um, again, again, well, we'll deal with that. <laughs> That's just so factually incorrect. Um, let's see. Right, that's again to do with 21st century <laughs> stuff. This is like. Um, we, we've got a tradition which says that to ask good questions is half of knowledge. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, and we have another one as well that a fool can ask more questions than a wise man can answer. That's, that's a good one. There, there's, another, there's another blank one. So I think this is all very profound. We're, we're going to make it. Let's see. Um, Well, this question, I'm not sure exactly what it means. Maybe you, you, you will, um, Abdur. What part does interpretation play in, in, in the Muslim curriculum? I guess that's um, mm. how to interpret the Quran that's right. and maybe the strategy for doing that. Is that a big part of community life? It's, it's, it's very big because the Quran is a very general and universal book which stands the test of time. And thus, we're discovering new things all the time. Um, for example, uh, the Quran speaks about pillars between the heavens and the earth that keep them the way they are, that you cannot see. Lam uh, It's only recently that we've actually discovered these pillars of force that keep the world where it is. The embryonic stages are talked about in the Quran, but I'm sure 1400 years ago, they, it would just have to be believed. And yet today, the Quran, one of the most, impo- one of the most fascinating things was that the Quran speaks about Pharaoh. Uh, the one that dealt with Moses, uh, opposed Moses. And the Quran say, uh, Allah says in the Quran that today we're going to give you respite with your body so that you could be a lesson for the people after you. That was said 1400 years ago. There were no mummies that were discovered then. Howard Carter, whatever his name was, he only discovered it about over 100 years ago. The mummies there, and today you go to the Egyptian museum, the Pharaonic museum, you'll actually see it there. But 1400 years ago, and for a thousand years or more, that was just a verse that we believed in but we didn't see it in action. And today we see it in action. So there's constant revelation, thus there's interpretations that are needed. The interpretation, you have to generally go first to the hadith, the sahih hadith, which means the authenticated narrations, because we have this really rigorous system that uh, authenticates the sayings of Muhammad, peace be upon him, because there have been misattributions or fabrications and spurious narrations that have been attributed to him. So we have to take those. And then there's a whole methodology that you have to follow to that. So the interpretation is living. It, it has to, uh, to, to contemporize, to uh, apply the, the, the teachings to any given time. And that doesn't just go on with scholars. That goes on in the mosque. There's a, in classes that you, that you might teach. So Generally, teaching, scholars should be scholars, teaching it. Mainly yeah. scholars, is it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, it's empty. Um, what can I say? I just, uh, you know, the, the whole idea of the Witch Jesus series isn't to have a fight or an argument or anything like that because I, I've been involved in that kind of stuff in the past and it, in, in other connections and I find them very unproductive. And, and the idea really was to, to let uh, a Muslim and, 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 and others come on their own terms and... and for us as Christians who are so ignorant of, of Islam and, and Judaism and, and, and other faiths, to, to let a spokesperson for that faith speak uh, of their own accord. And I think, Abdul, you've spoken very, very eloquently um, of Islam tonight. Um, Thank you very much. We have only touched um, the tip mm-hmm. of, of the iceberg. There is so much... 
in preparation um, for meeting, because we were chatting over a year ago, weren't we, and in, in, in touch with each other. I, I, I spent about £300 worth of oh. money, on, my wife doesn't know, on, um, <laughs> on books on, on, on... Oh, she's here. Is she? uh, on, on, on Islam. And, um, oh. and, and our great friend, Ali Sharif, has seen some of those books. They are impressive, aren't they, Ali? For a Christian... They are. For a Christian, I've got quite a selection mm. of stuff. But we really are only touching um, the That's iceberg. Yeah. I, I have to say I have, I have great respect for Muslims. And it goes back to an incident I remember several years ago now, um, watching on television when there was a blasphemous play on in London. Um, I think it was the Jerry Springer play that was on, where I think it was, it might have been some other one, where, where Jesus was being mocked and ridiculed. And the Muslims were out on the street protesting within hours. You know, when the Passion of Christ yes. came out, I was going to take part in this discussion. Yeah. So I should have watched it, but yes. I couldn't bring myself to watch yes. it. Even though I, I, it, was, it was there on my desk. Uh, in, yes. on, uh, somebody sent me the file. Yes. I said, I can't watch it. Because the problem is that even when you watch the Ten Commandments, and you see Moses depicted by this particular actor who's nowhere close to Moses, right? No offense. But um, every time then you read in your scripture about Moses, he comes to mind. And that's not Moses. So I'd rather leave Moses, peace be upon him, and Jesus, peace be upon him, you know, ambiguous in my mind, uh, and to understand him from the way, not the way the actor looks. So, yeah, if if people are going to say anything about Muhammad or Jesus... We would definitely, you yes. know, you will see Muslims get up yeah. to do it. And, yeah. and as I say, it, it, it impressed me because there were no Christians to be seen anywhere. Shame oh. on us. Next month, if you come back on the 13th of October, um, you can hear an interview I'll, I'll, I'll be conducting with Rabbi Nathan Levy. Um, I don't know if he's here tonight. If he is, it's going to be much harder on you than um, <laughs> after. Um, but um, that will be interesting as well. Uh, Nathan has worked with um, Jonathan Sachs, who's now stepped down as chief rabbi of, of, of Great Britain. Um, he's a great guy, and I will be putting him through his paces as, as, as we explore um, perceptions of Jesus in Judaism. So please make a note of that. Um, that is Sunday, the um, 13th of October at 7 um, PM, Rabbi Nathan Levy. So, um, and after that, then we have um, the controversial Christian um, minister, the Reverend Steve Chalk, who has, has recently come out in, in favour of um, same-sex marriage. So, uh, we'll be putting him through his paces in November. Mm. Um, you've been a fantastic audience, and it's been great to have you. But please, can we show our um, respect um, and appreciation? Um, for Dr. Abdul Rahman. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Good night.